How's everyone doing this morning? Doing well this morning? Hey, make sure you check out the table out there. Mark uh, Penfold and Robin are close friends, have been of Ann and I for many, many years. In early days of seminary, uh, they were uh, worked, he worked at Grace uh, College and Seminary, and great, great man of God, great, great uh, mission there too, the Eagle Commission. So make sure you stop by there. Today, as we work our way through Colossians, it's the part of a letter when you get to the end of a letter and you're thinking about, what else should I say? What else should I say? It's like, and another thing, like if you're talking to your kids, and another thing, before you go, and another thing. And as Paul gets to the end of this letter, it's like he's saying in another thing. In fact, the NIV heading, which wasn't in the original, says further instructions. And so he's getting to the end, and he's reminding this group that he loves very much. Like, it matters how you live your life. Our public lives matter. People will get permission. We'll give people permission to listen to us based upon how we live our lives. And if our public life doesn't match what we believe, then we lose permission to share with that, that person. And so the reality is, is that the way we live matters. Let me give you, for instance, many, many, many years ago, I've been at Grace going on our 23rd year. In the early days, I was going through the McDonald's drive through same McDonald's that's over here, and there was this car that was in front of us, and there was this person in the car that was giving the clerk the riot act. I mean, just yelling at them, holding their hands up, just like, just upset about something, just totally upset about something. And it was obvious it was upset. The clerk was trying to do their best, the, the cashier there, to help them out. As they were helping them out, the order didn't come, so the person had to drive up to that spot. You know that spot you go to when the food's not ready at fast food? So they, they pulled up to that spot. Our vehicle came through, and we got our order, and as I'm driving past this car, I'm just curious who it was, and it was one of our Sunday school teachers from Grace Community Church, and I waved at him. <laughs> it's one of those moments like, woo, your public life matches <laughs> what you're teaching kids, <laughs> and so it matters the way we live because people are always watching us. They're, they're looking at us and observing our lives, and Paul is saying today, if you want permission to share Jesus Christ. If you want to have an example for them to even be curious, then the way you live your life matters. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean and turn to Colossians chapter 4 and we're going to look at verses 2 through 6. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. We'll put one in your hand. Ushers will and it's a gift from Grace Community Church if you don't own one. Take it home with you and, and read it this week. It'd be the best news, anything you've read this week. But turn to Colossians chapter 4, and let's read it out loud together. Would you stand with me as we read it out loud? Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. And, and keep in mind, Paul is saying, and another thing, and another thing, further instructions as he gets to the end of this letter. And he says this, read with me, verses 2 through 6. Ready, read. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You may have a seat. I love what the text here says. And Paul was saying to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, be devoted to the right things. 
And so think about that. We can be, have devotion towards things, but he's saying at the end, there's so much that will be tugging at you, this church he's looking at, so many good things you could be involved in and, and not so good things. And he says, but be devoted to the right things and be devoted to prayer is what he's going to tell them. Paul is sitting in prison, most likely house arrest, and sometimes we lose sight of this. For 25% of his ministry, 25% of his ministry, he was incarcerated. Often he was in some brutal prisons, chained to walls with rat-infested place, barely fed. And so now he's on house arrest, and he's writing this letter from this house arrest position and encouraging them to be devoted to the right things. History tells us that Paul later died, some think by decapitation, where they literally lopped off his head because he believed in Jesus Christ. So he writes to these people and he's saying, listen, it matters how you live. It matters what you do on a Monday through Saturday and not just when you come to worship. Let's just define the word devoted. I like this word and he uses it for on purpose. Devoted means to be faithfully committed to something with unusual loyalty. It's this picture of a man or woman in a tug of war. And generally speaking, you put the guy on the end of the tug of war line. It's usually either the biggest or strongest guy and he ties the rope around his his waist and he's at the rear of this tug of war. He's devoted to this tug. And often what will happen, if their team wins, he ends up on his hind side. Or if his team loses, he gets drugged through the mud across the line. But he is devoted. He is not letting up. He is loyal to the tug. He's going to give everything he has. He is holding on until the end. And that's the picture Paul says. Be devoted to prayer. Tie it around your waist. Sometimes you're going to be on the side that you didn't want to be on, but continue to get back up and pull and pull and pull and pull and hold on. That's the picture that Paul has here. Paul is saying to us, as he did to this church, be persistent in prayer. It's your lifeline. There's so many truths about prayer. We could make it a message about prayer, but just to hit on a couple of them, I wonder how many things that are intended for us by the enemy or our enemies will be thwarted if we just pray. And Paul's saying, be devoted, pray about everything. In Ephesians, he says, pray about everything. And even how many of you need some intentions of others concerning your future, your marriage, your children, your pending case to be reversed? Paul says, pray about it. Be devoted to it. Wrap the rope around your waist. Go for the ride. Hold on. Give everything you have. Sometimes it'll end up the way you want it. Sometimes it won't. But get back up and keep holding on and praying to God. Most of us don't get what we want because we quit praying. We give up too easily. We give up right before the breakthrough takes place. I'm not sure where that terminology or this terminology began that, that somehow we, that God has a deadline to our prayers. I want you to think about this in a little, and hopefully think about this week. There are not any deadlines to our prayers that have been offered. There's no expiration date. So the prayers that you and I prayed, prayers that I prayed when I was six, 16, 26, 36, 46, and 56. 
There's no expiration date. So if you're praying for a child, you're praying for a breakthrough, you're praying for a dream, you're praying for a healing, you're praying for the best for your kids and your future, those prayers don't disappear after 24 hours and somehow, well, I gotta, I gotta pray again because it's new. No, God collects them, they, they remain near him, and the scriptures show us that they continue to impact the future of our lives. So they're continually being collected. So don't somehow think, well, he must not going to answer like I want it, so, so I, I might as well stop praying. No, just keep adding to it. There is no expiration date to your prayers. That's important for you to remember. And so maybe you think, it doesn't seem like nothing's happening. Hear me out. God is collecting those prayers, and they're making a difference. John tried to describe that. Hold your hand here and just look at Revelation chapter 5. It's important that we see this in Scripture because this might be a great encouragement to you today because you're not seeing what you hope to see. But be devoted, tie that rope around you, keep digging in and tugging at prayer. Look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. John says this as he was on the island of Patmos in this dream. And he says, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp that they were holding, golden bowls full of what? What's it say? Incense, which are the what of God's people? The prayers of God's people. So there is this picture in heaven that there are these bowls. Think about it this way. Every time that you and I offer a prayer, it goes into this bowl, there's this collection. And you know what you've been praying about. And so it doesn't get thrown away after 24 hours. It doesn't have an expiration date. It just continues to build and build and build and build. It's the prayers of God's people. And then John says this. Look at Revelation chapter 8 and verse 5. Or look at verse 4 to begin with. John said this in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 4. He says, the smoke of the incense together with the what of God's people? Prayers. So here's the picture. It's the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Let me try to demonstrate, just give you a visual so that this week when you pray, you can think about it this way. There are these bowls in heaven. So just picture, you've been praying about something and you've been offering these prayers, John gives us this picture that it, they have your name on it, and it's for something in particular. And it says that each time that you offer a prayer, it's collected in this bowl, and it continues to collect along with the incense. And so maybe you're praying for a child who's turned his back, and maybe you're praying for salvation of a friend, and maybe you're praying for healing, and maybe you're praying for reconciliation in a marriage, and maybe you're praying for a dream. And it says they don't just go out in space and land and bounce around in the galaxy of the Milky Way. It says, no, they're collected in these bowls. And there is this picture that as we continue to pray, as we continue to offer prayers, that there comes a point where the angel 
based upon God's willingness to act, and when he does act, he takes this bowl and these bowls of prayer along with the incense of God's people. And it says, there comes a point where that one prayer, maybe it's the one you pray this afternoon, you're devoted to it. You got the rope tied around your waist and you're believing by faith. And it says, there's this picture that sooner or later, it tips the scales And it says there comes this moment in time where the angel hurls it down to earth and the breakthrough comes through. So let me ask you a question. Have you given up? Have you said, oh, fooey, I'm done. Nothing's happening. It's been 10 years. It's been been three years. It's been six months. And the word of God says, listen, listen, keep praying, Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, because sooner or later, it's going to tip the scales and breakthrough is on its way. Amen? That's the picture. That's the picture, and I love making messes. That's the picture (laughs) to being devoted to prayer, being devoted to it. And let me tell you, you need to surround yourself with people who say, you know what? I'm jumping on the rope with you. And I'm going to pull, and I'm going to pray and pull, and I'm going to pull. And even if it looks like it's over, and I'm, I'm getting back up, and we're pulling again. We are pulling again. And, and so Paul says, be devoted to that prayer. Because there could come a day in your near future where it is about to cut loose. Then he says this in Colossians chapter 4. He says this, not only be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's this idea of of staying awake and being alert, looking for opportunities for you to share Christ with people in front of you. Paul is reminding them that there's a greater purpose to their life. People are all around them that are far from Jesus. And in Rome and in Colossae during this time, remember, remember, Christianity was just a fledgling group, just, just, a, just a small sect that was beginning to blossom. They were the, the, the minority and not the majority, but he's telling them, stay with it. And if you live out your life in such a way, people are watching and they'll want what you have. Have a watchful Spirit, I wonder how many people you walked by this morning, maybe out in the hallways. Maybe there's someone seated right in your row. You haven't even looked at their eyes yet. You don't even know who's behind you or around you. Paul's saying, you should have a watchful spirit. It's not just about you. It's not about you sitting down and worshiping your God. It's the person in the, the, the parking lot. It's the person that you hold the door for. It's the person that you exit out with. God didn't randomly have you walk out today beside this person. He is orchestrated. Be watchful. Have your eyes open. Look for those callous, hurting eyes. Have a dear friend, Glenn Sharp, that now has dementia, but he is a flaming evangelist. He's led so many people to the Lord because he asked the Lord to give him opportunities. And this is one of my favorite stories about Glenn. He went out to the UP mall, and he was walking through the UP mall, and he saw this person with hollow eyes at this jewelry counter. So he walked up, and he starts sharing the gospel with this person that was standing by the jewelry counter, and his daughter came along. He says, Dad, what are you doing? He says, 
I'm sharing Jesus with this person. She said, Dad, that's a mannequin. <laughs> he said, well, they had hollow eyes. <laughs> that's the picture. <laughs> Being willing to share, looking, looking for those hollow eyes. The truth is, we are God's last hope to share the gospel. Did you hear me? We're his last hope. They had kings and prophets and priests in the Old Testament. They were proclaiming about the Messiah to come. Jesus came. He had disciples that were on earth. They were sent out. Jesus ascended to heaven. Now we're left. We're his last plan to tell people about Jesus. And if we don't, guess what? No one will. And Paul is saying, live in such a way, such a public fashion that people see your life and say, that's what I want. You have something that's different. This week, as I was prepping for this message, knowing this message is coming, I began praying, Lord, I would love to lead someone to Christ this week. I want to be watchful. God, I want to be ready. And so I said, Lord, not only do I want to preach this, I want to live this. That's why you have us here. So I began praying, Lord, give me an opportunity. And and my eyes were on full alert. Like whoever was in breathing distance of me was going to hear about Jesus. Yesterday morning, my wife and I woke up. We were going to lead the Blitz down in Syracuse, the car wash. And so we had all the supplies. We were excited about it. Had our team assembled. By the way, listen to me. If you haven't signed up for one of the Blitzes, do it today. Do it today. Join on on a team. So we're ready to go and get outside, and it's raining, and I look at the map, and it's like, it, it's going to rain. It's going to rain more. And, and I just said, that, so I contacted the, the guys that were going to be part of our team, and I said, you know, we can't go. We wash the car. They're going to drive away, and it's going to get dirty. God's going to wash them today. That's what I told him. He's going to take care of it. But if you like, you can go to the JFL, Junior Football League Blitz, and make pancakes. By the way, they served up 1,100 pancakes yesterday. And so Ann and I said, as we're getting ready to leave, I said, you know, I guess God must want us to go there. I mean, he takes the weather and brings it to us. So let's go to this JFL Blitz and be watchful and thankful. And so while we were there, it was a great opportunity. Pastor John is correct. We fed everybody. There were breaks. It would rain and they had lightning. So everyone would go to the pavilion. We took uh, pancakes over and all those players, they were three pounds heavier when they were hitting each other. It was just a... But while we were there, my wife, who has a very kindred spirit, we have a very similar spirit towards lost people, was engaging this couple and so she had, was talking, and, and I jumped into this conversation and come to find out that the, the wife knew Jesus, had come to know Jesus a year ago, and the husband didn't. And as we were in conversation, he said these words I'll never forget. He said, my heart is so hard. My heart is so hard. And so as we were talking, and I was talking, and Ann was talking, and I, I said, but listen to me. Jesus can soften your heart. And he, he said that he wanted to know more about Jesus. And I was saying, oh boy, you're asking the wrong couple about that. Just, <laughs> we have a lot to tell you about Jesus. And so we were talking and, and I was praying as I was talking. Oh Lord, open his heart, open his heart, God, open his heart. And before that conversation ended, I asked him this word. I said, 
would you like to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and let him make your heart soft? He said, yes, I would. And while all this craziness was going on, football was, players were hitting each other and people were gobbling down pancakes and Ann and I stood in this huddle and this dear brother trusted in Jesus Christ. Praise God, praise God. And I'll never forget what his wife did, and my wife Ann will never forget either. She reaches up, puts her arms around him, and just hugs him because she had been longing to see him come to Christ too. There's nothing special about being that messenger. It's just being watchful, being ready, and asking God for the opportunity. And then he says this. He says, not only devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, but be thankful. Find a reason every day to be thankful. Start each morning with the praise instead of saying, oh, no, I got to go to work. Oh, no, I'm running late. Oh, no, I got to get the kids breakfast. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Wake up, jump straight out of bed, scare your wife to death. Just woo, and say, praise God, I'm alive. (laughs) What would that do to her, huh? Without coffee. (laughs) But certainly, shouldn't we though? We have so much to be grateful for. A thankful spirit. Here's why I tell you that. Praise pushes back darkness. Praise causes demons to flee. Praise pushes back Satan and you want to bring light to your bedroom. Get up, first words out of your mouth. Thank you, Jesus. That's the picture. Be thankful. And there's many ways that can unpack How about just thanking God for life? You're alive. Praise God for that, huh? My heart is beating. I got another breath to tell people about Jesus. Praise God. Or maybe just waking up and saying, Lord, I thank you for the Bible. It is your word, your message. And when I read it, when I'm down or depressed or discouraged or hopeless, I read it. How many times have you read God's word and you were enveloped with peace? You were enveloped with comfort. You were enveloped with instruction. And because you read it, it gave you hope. We should praise God just for the word of God. Praise him for your salvation. When is the last time, just answer it on your own, that you've actually said these words? Lord, thank you for saving me. When's the last time you did that? Just thanking the Lord for your salvation. Or just the little blessings of his drops of mercy that come. And they come in all forms and fashions. This Wednesday, I had incredible privilege and opportunity and blessing to meet with pastors that are part of our fellowship of churches at at the Lodge. And so they came in from Ohio and Indiana and the Midwest and and Michigan. and, And so we were gathering there. And I was excited because... You get to rub shoulders with with men and women who, or or in this case, it was men, pastors, that were able to understand you. So I was excited. We're coming to the lodge for the first time, and it was exciting. So I got in my Jeep, and I wanted to get there early and to greet them. And as I'm heading on County Road 29 over to to the lodge in Syracuse, and I'm just driving along, just like, can't wait to get there. And there was this motorcycle coming the other way, and I noticed it as it went past me. It was a policeman on a motorcycle. Like, huh, that's interesting. He's on a Harley. Cool. And so you, the first thing, what do you do when you see a policeman? Hit the brake. Doesn't matter, if, doesn't matter how fast you're going, does it? And so I hit the brake. And I was like, yeah, he just went on. And, and so I watched him, and I kept watching him. And then I, he turned around. Oh, isn't that nice? 
And I was the only vehicle on the road. <laughs> then he turned his lights on for me. Oh, how so nice. Praise God. <laughs> so I'm on a Jeep, and I saw him turn around. It's like, well, I'm speeding. So I pull off the road. Like, I'm just going to pull off because I'm in a Jeep. I just pull over on the grass, and he comes up to my window. He says, hey, can you pull on the road so I can get my bike? Yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. So I pulled off, got off the next road, and he came up, had my driver's license, and so he walked up, very, very pleasant officer, and he said, why were you traveling so fast? Why were you in such a hurry? I said, officer, I, I don't have a good reason. I said, really unwise. He said, no, really, why were you going so fast? I thought, well, if you're asking. I said, actually, I'm going to a pastor's retreat. <laughs> Right here at the lodge. And uh, there's pastors gathering from all over. And, and uh, I'm going there to, to greet them. Just glad to see them. And, and he said, oh. And I said, by the way, I'm Pastor Jim Brown from Grace Community Church in Goshen. <laughs> and I said, uh, um, I look like an idiot, don't I? <laughs> Just give me your driver's license. And, uh, yes, yes, sir. So he went back and took the license and he did a a scan on my license, and he came back and handed me registration. He said, I normally don't do this. He said, but just slow down. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I was doing 66 in a 45. <laughs> hey, if you're going to break the law, break it good. <laughs> That's going to get quoted, I know it is. <laughs> hey... <laughs> That was funny, by the way. <laughs> There'll be some troll out there that'll eat me up for that one. <laughs> but the blessing and favor, even in the small things, your trials. Paul said this, he said that tribulations work patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope does not disappoint us. In the midst of of a trial, knowing that God is with us, we can praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A land of freedom. You even hear Mark share today, and for the freedom we have in this country because of those of you who have served, thank you. Thank you for our military who has served so bravely to give us freedom. Every checkpoint that we went through in Iraq on our last mission trip two weeks ago, if we said we were Americans or Christians, they led us through. You see, you went there to serve in the military. And because you served, we followed behind with the gospel. Thank you. We live in a country that's free. And maybe just the blessed hope of this. Wake up and you say, Jesus is coming again. Amen? He's coming again. This isn't it. All the suffering, all the pain, all the sickness, all the regrets, all the condemnation, all the junk, all the poor relationships, all the debt, all the despair, all the discouragement. There will be a day that it's all done. It's called heaven. Like, if that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, then it should. And so he says, be thankful in everything. And then he says this in verse 3. Paul says this, he said, and pray for us. Two, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly 
as I should. In other words, he's saying, I'll never be too consumed with my condition and how hard it is. Even if I die, and Paul did die later, I always want to be a person who's sharing Christ. It's saying that I won't be consumed about this thing and this trial in my life so much that I'm not watchful, I'm not thankful, and I miss out on the opportunities that God has right beside me. Some of us are so consumed with this life that we neglect the responsibility of telling the world that there is a Savior, his name is Jesus, and he came and died on a cross for their sins and our sins, and he was buried, and, but he was resurrected, and he overcame death, and there is this incredible gift called salvation that's free. Listen, that's why we're here. And so Paul says to them, listen, pray for me so I can proclaim and share the truths of the gospel. Paul's in prison. He's asking the church to pray for him. He does not ask them to pray that he's set free, but for a holy boldness to open some doors. And listen, it wasn't the jail door he was asking to be open. It was the door of people's hearts. This is the same Paul that wrote in Corinthians, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. He's saying that we should be different. Listen, you and I should be different because we have hope beyond the grave. And you must ask this question, how can I use this present difficult situation to point people to Jesus Christ? And that's what Paul's saying. Pray for me. Like, if it was my choice, I wouldn't be here. But pray for me. And then he says, tells them to do that, to conduct themselves wisely. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Season with what? What's the word? Salt. So that you may know how to answer how many people? Everyone. I love this section because he is reminding them that the way they live out their faith has a direct impact on those around them. Buy up every opportunity you can to tell sinners the best news they'll ever have. I have a friend. He's still alive, but he would go to businesses And at lunchtime, he would sit in the offices of these businesses, and he would say this, I'll take you out to lunch, and I'll buy you lunch if you let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) He would buy up an opportunity. And he lives in Fort Wayne. His name is Bill Smith. And and, and so he has led tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of people to Christ. You know why? Because of a willingness to buy up the opportunity to share Christ with people. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. That's a powerful truth. So how does that play out for us? Think about this for a second. Here's how it plays out. Answer these questions. How will this business transaction give me permission to talk about Jesus with this client? Am I acting with integrity? How will this social media post shed favorably on Jesus 
Huh? How will this social media post shed favorably on Jesus? How will the way I treat my wife and kids in public cause people to ask, why are you so different? How will my response to the construction in Goshen (laughs) reflect favorably on my love for Jesus? How will my attitude towards hardships and trials look distinctively different to an unsaved person? How do I exercise tact and patience and love when I've been wronged? Do I tip generously in the marketplace? Am I different? Or am I that one, well, that was $11 and 18 cents, so the tip is 11.1. Or is it, you know what? I am going to bless the socks off of this waitress who this is her or his means of living, and they probably had a tough night. I'm going to drop a $20 tip. Let me tell you what happens when you drop those tips in your generous. They go back and they say, Guess what just happened? What? What happened? I got a $100 tip. What? Who was it? Do you remember that couple out there? Yeah, I I, I saw them. They're different than most people. You know why they're different? They gave me a $100 tip. You buy an opportunity. Do people know you by your generosity or by your stinginess? Look for opportunities. Let your conversation... Be full of grace, gracious, sensitive, and kind. It should be interesting when they get a chance to talk to you. Even when you don't want to. My social media platform has many, many friends or followers. It doesn't make me special. It's just because that's where it's at. But every so often there's these people who like to say some things to what I post. And you can call them what you want to call them. And there's a part of you, when you see that, you want to respond. Look, I'll speak. I want to respond and say, I really want to tell them. Like, no! The flesh in me wants to cry out. And I want to write a response that's that long. (laughs) And put exclamation, exclamation point, exclamation point. But praise God for this thing called, this power, this God called the Holy Spirit. That I can't tell you how many times I wanted to justify and say I'm right. And that this is the way. And the Spirit said, love him, love him, love him, love him, love him. I've loved him enough. And the Spirit says, love him. And just this week I had wrote something and in the spirit of love and grace and this person jumped on who loves to jump onto my pages and said something. I wanted to give it to him. Hey, you ever want to give it to somebody? I did. And the spirit said, no, just love him. So my response to him was, I love you, bud.
That's what the Spirit can do. That's, that's what he can do. And his response back, he responded back. And he took the time. And by the way, I do love him with the love of God. If I respond in my flesh, I, I want to be right. And he actually took the time and he said this. And I pulled off his post so you guys can't go there and look for it and find out who he is. And, uh, but he said, Jim, I thought by now you would have unfriended me. <laughs> he said, I love your long suffering with me. Whew. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> They'll know we're different by the way we live and respond. Season with salt, not salty language. What does that mean? Make it appetizing as possible. You know, when food is salted, it's not bland. It can be unappetizing without it. And so Paul is saying, develop the ability to speak about Jesus so that it has an appetizing flavor to it. How can you make people's mouths water for Jesus? Have you ever grabbed a menu at a place and they have these pictures of these burgers? Like, I mean, they're just dripping with cheese and the grease is running off of the sides and there's pickles and relish and all the above and they cover the whole front of the menu and you're looking at it like, if that burger back there is like this, I'm all in. And so they, they draw this picture like they're making it. You're like, I love it indeed. <laughs> it's appetizing. It's the same way with us. They should look at our lives and say, if, if, if that is really real, if that's the way I can live under trials and tribulation, if that's the way... It is possible to respond when you really want to give the riot act to someone, then I want that version. And Paul is saying, oh, if we live differently, the world will want what we're selling. It's Jesus. So how can we develop that appetite? We spend time every day in God's word reading why the gospel tastes so good. <laughs> See, the gospel is awesome. We're lost, headed to hell. We needed a remedy. His name is Jesus, perfect in every way. We trust in him, repent of our sins. We have an eternal relationship with the God of the universe forever and ever and ever. Listen. That tastes good. Some of us have been Christians for so long that we forget what we've been saved from and neglect the crucial business of just enjoying Christ. The keenness of our taste buds has become dull. We've let the things of the world sandpaper the taste buds of Jesus from our tongues and lives. And Paul is saying, just savor Jesus. Give people an appetite for Jesus. I wonder if people look at our lives, if they really say, I want what you have, because what you have makes you live differently. You really love people. 
See, way too many of us have lost the joy of our salvation because of a variety of things. Sometimes the reason we've lost the joy of our salvation is because things are good. I got a great wife and the kids are good and I got good health and I got a great job and I got money in the bank and I got an extra vacation home and I I can go wherever I want. I don't need Jesus. And, And because we've let that dull the appetite for Christ. Sometimes it's our pursuit of more. Sometimes we just love ourselves too much. And sometimes we just have too many idols in our lives. Sometimes it's just the trials and struggles of this life. That's all we're focused on. And we lose sight of God is with me. I'm hard pressed but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. It's saying even in that time, look for those opportunities to have a menu that's appetizing to the world. When someone looks at the menu of your life, do they say, if my life can match that, give me some of that. You want to see people run to Christ? Let's live like we love Jesus. Amen? Why do we come lose our tastes? Because of lack of time with God. I tell you what, you spend time in God's word, you'll develop an appetite. One of my prayers, of many prayers I pray, Lord, give me an appetite, God, for your word. God, at the end of the day, may I feel like I am starving if I haven't feasted on your word. Give me an appetite. Help me wake up every day and hunger and thirst for your word. As Paul looks at this group, he's telling them, the way you live your life matters. And if we do not live and respond differently than the world, hear me out, why would they ever want our menu of Jesus? Oh Lord, help us. God, return us back to the, just some of the simple things that we've neglected to go back to. Even the simple things are miraculous. Give us a hunger and an appetite for your word. Give us a hunger and an appetite for you. Restore the joy of our salvation. Give us an incredible love for you. Help us, God. Help us to return to our first love. Help us to return to what's the most important thing. It's you, Jesus. Just give us that simple pursuit again. In Jesus' name, amen.